We're still in our um, series on what Christians pursue. And last Sunday we looked at uh, the pursuit of joy, or the joy of the Lord to be precise. And the intention was to understand what joy is from God's point of view. How does God see joy? Uh, what, is God's, um, what does joy look like in God's eyes, as it were? And, and the reason is, uh, we, can, we can think we know about joy because uh, we experience happiness. It's a human emotion. And so um, we can look at joy through a completely human experiential lens, which is flawed because our emotions can often be misleading. Well, we saw that the joy of the Lord is not a, not a feeling, but a fact. And it is the joy that the Lord has. It is the joy of the Lord. And it is the joy that He gives to His children. And so, um, it's not joy from a human perspective, but a divine, godly perspective. It's not joy as the world sees it, but joy as the Word tells us. And the pursuit that we are looking at today is kind of like that because we can tend to understand it from a human perspective. We can tend to look at it with the lens of human reasoning, which can be quite misleading. And so if we are truly to understand it and pursue it, we must see how God explains it, how God understands it, and therefore how He intends for us to pursue it. The pursuit that we're looking at is the pursuit of prosperity. And the text is Psalm 1, as Michael just read for us. Before saying anything else, I thought I'd share this interesting insight with you as to why this psalm is so interesting. And one commentator says, and I, I just quote him, Psalm 1 was understood to be an introduction to the whole Psalter, rather than just another psalm. It is likely that the final editors of the Psalter chose Psalm 1 as the gateway to the Psalms. Why? Because it encourages the readers or the hearers to consider the songs that follow to have the effect of divine guidance or Torah. This psalm also exhorts the readers both to read the Psalms and to meditate deeply on the message God is communicating through them. And here's the important part. It strongly affirms that how one responds to the revelation of God unleashed by reading the Psalms determines one's ultimate destiny. The way we read and respond to the Psalms determines our ultimate destiny. Wow. That is heavy. The Psalms are not just songs to be sung, they are the Word of God to be read and meditated upon because that has an impact on our destiny. So what we have before us in Psalm 1 is the virtual gateway to understanding the rest of the hymn book of Israel. And how do we understand it? Well, we can begin and make some initial assessments as to how the structure of the psalm proceeds. And I don't want to get analytical about poetry because that is what the song is. It's, about, it's a poem. It's, it's a song. But 
I want us to understand that being a song, it can mislead us into thinking that we can interpret it any way we choose. We do that with human songs. One song affects you in one way and it affects me in a different way. We all have our favorite songs. But this is not like that. This is the Word of God in song form. And the way we respond to it, the way it will impact our destiny, is if we understand it the way God chose for us to, be, to understand it. And so in this psalm, we immediately see that it is a song of contrasts. You may have a title in your Bible which says, A Song of Contrast Between the Righteous and the Wicked. And that's not uh, to state the obvious. It is a very important thing to note because it helps us in understanding what the psalm is all about and ultimately what prosperity is all about. Immediately we are confronted with two perspectives, two worldviews, two mindsets. One worldview has God as its center, the other worldview has man at its center. One worldview has the word at its foundation. The other worldview has the world as its foundation. One is led by the Spirit of God. One is led by the flesh. And the contrast, as you can see and as I mentioned, is between the righteous and the wicked. It's interesting to note that the word wicked is used four times in the psalm. Verse 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Verse 6, but the way of the wicked will perish. Two other synonyms for the word wicked are used, sinners and scoffers, both in verse 1. So for a total of six times in six verses, we have some form of evil mentioned. Some form of opposition to God. But on the other hand, the word righteous is only mentioned once in the last verse. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But even though there's this disparate frequency of the terms of use, wicked six times, righteous once, we know that there is a complete contrast between the righteous and the wicked because of the way the psalm starts. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The blessed man is identified by what he does not do. He is not like the other person. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the path of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So this is a song of opposites. It has six verses and in the middle of the, of, of the psalm, near the end of verse 3 or at verse 3, right in the middle, we see what appears to be the, the, the main contrast, the highlight of this psalm and it's a picture of prosperity and it's communicated through a metaphor of a well-watered tree. And as the psalm builds in verse 1, we see a combination of various symbols. 
and, and, and we need to understand how the psalm progresses, and I'll make my point, and soon enough you'll see it. But we see various action symbols, walking, standing, sitting. And obviously this is a song, this is poetry, so it's not meant to be actual, literal, walking, standing, sitting. It is meant to stand for something. It is meant to be representative, symbolic of a lifestyle. It's symbolic of decisions that we make, choices that we make. And it's also symbolic, as we said, of destiny, where those choices ultimately take us. And then we have pathway symbols. And these represent different ways of thinking. You have the word counsel, path, seat. And again, these are not meant to be understood literally, but figuratively. Counsel doesn't literally mean to take or give advice. It means, it could could very well mean that, but it doesn't have to be. We could also understand counsel as an example, or a role model, or even a road to follow. The same is with the word path and seat. They don't literally mean a road in the street directory. They mean a pathway that you choose in the journey of life. So they are symbolic of a mentality and a mindset and along with these symbols, we also have the use of types. We see the wicked, we see sinners, we see scoffers. And in the middle of this, we come to the word prosper. And I want to alert us to the danger in understanding the word prosper from a materialist, physical perspective. Because there are churches and teachers in churches who would say that here is evidence that prosperity, material prosperity, is the right of a child of God. They would say that if you read your Bible twice a day and if you're a good person, you will prosper. You will have health you will have success. And if you're not prosperous, and if you're not successful, and if you're not healthy, then you're not a child of God. But is that true? Is, it saying, is, is the text saying that material health and wealth and success and prosperity is the true measure and indicator of the identity of a child of God? Well, we need to study and understand the text so we can have a clear picture of what prosperity actually is and so that we can pursue it and so that we can really live the way God wants us to live. And so we're going to study the text by following the following outline. We're going to look at four contrasts, four of the major contrasts in the text. We look at contrasting pathways in verse 1, contrasting pleasures in the first part of verse 2, contrasting practices in the second part of verse 2 and the rest of the psalm we will see contrast of pictures and hopefully having understood these contrasts we will be in a better position to understand what prosperity means for us and how to pursue it number one contrasting pathways verse one it's immediately brought out in the start like i said by telling us what the blessed person does not do 
the contrast is implied. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. To be blessed, um, as per the Hebrew term, is to be happy. It's a formula for happiness, to make, to make progress, to advance, to continue in a straight line. And the implication is that the person is continuing in a straight line, in a forward direction, under the influence and instruction of God. That's what it means to be blessed. It's a state of spiritual progression, not a state of material possession. It's how you advance. You're advancing by the grace of God, not so that you can get things from Him, but, that's, but so that you can know Him better. And how does that happen? Firstly, by what you don't do. You don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You don't stand in the path of sinners. And you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, what do these phrases mean? To walk has the sense of proceeding with an intent to see where the path takes you. To walk means to make a decision with the intention of following it up and seeing where the next phase comes. You step out with the intention of following through. Wicked are the ungodly who deliberately deviate from a right standard. That's what the, wicked, the word wicked means. And so to walk in the counsel of the wicked means to deliberately take a decision that is ungodly with the intention of seeing where it takes you. Let's see where this goes. What's the next step? The next step is standing in the way of sinners. Now, to stand is, all, is, is that next step. It is, it is an in, it is, it's an intention to commit to staying put. You've made the decision to see where the decision will take you. Now you come there and you make the decision to stay there. You want to stay put. And the path indicates a well-worn highway, like a public thoroughfare. It is, it is well-worn because it is well-known. Lots of people travel on this highway. And you're one of them. And so do stand in the path of, of sinners, or sinners are offenders, simply. To stand in the path of sinners is to make a commitment that you want to stay put in the path that serial offenders take. You want to flow on the freeway of felons. You want to track with the transgressors. To sit means to dwell, to camp, to pitch your tent. And seat has the same idea of dwelling or settlement or habitation. Scoffers are those who show outright contempt for God and His ways that are righteous. People who show contempt for righteousness by treating it frivolously. People who joke about God. And so to sit in the seat of scoffers is to make your home with those who have an utter contempt for your Creator. Notice the progression of the pathways. You start by walking. You make a decision. You know it's ungodly, but hey, let's see where this takes us. 
And then you stand. You're there. And you say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stay here. And then you sit. That's where you end up. That's where you make your home. Notice the progression of types. Wicked sinners, scoffers. You start by deliberately deviating from God's truth. That turns you into a sinner. You become a serial offender. You deviate continuously until you come to the point where you're a scoffer. You just don't care. And so we see uh, the descent into evil, a journey into the abyss, a point of no return. The people who are not blessed, who do not progress under God's direction, they are the ones who take this path, stick with it, and never come back from it. But, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. Why, why does this person not stray like the others? And can I put it like this? The wicked are those who do not possess godly discernment, whereas the righteous are the ones who do. And I know this may be simplifying things quite a bit, but I believe that at the very fundamental level of being blessed is the idea of knowing where your, the path is going to take you. You can look down the road with godly instruction and see the decision and see the outcome of your decision. The righteous are those who make choices based not on their own ideas, but on the will of God. They entrust their decisions to the instruction of God. They do not lean on their own understanding, but in everything that they do, in everything that they think, they acknowledge God as being the source of all wisdom. And so they follow Him. He makes their path straight. They, un they advance under His direction. They progress under His guidance. That's what it means to be blessed. And it is contrasted with a regression away from God. The blessed are the ones who move toward God under His instruction. The wicked move away from God, away from His instruction. And so in keeping with the spirit of the contrast, the blessed ones are those who make godly decisions to see where God will take them. When they reach there, they make a commitment to stay there. And they make their home there. They make their home with God. They pitch their tent where God is. And so we see that a primary characteristic of prosperity in God's eyes is having godly discernment. Which brings us to our second contrast, contrasting pleasures in verse 2, the first part. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but, and there's the word that highlights the contrast, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's almost as if the delight in the law of God is the opposite of sitting, standing, walking. 
with all those people that we just talked about. The first contrast is what the righteous don't do. The second contrast is what the righteous actually do. So we see a reversal about what the unrighteous don't do. What are the pleasures of the righteous? The word of God. It's quite simple really. That word delight means to delight in with great pleasure. To really, really enjoy. To savor the word of God. The person who is blessed, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, takes delight in the word of God. That's the contrast. They don't like doing something, they like doing something. They don't walk in the paths of the unrighteous. They love the word of God. We could say that the reason the person who is blessed does not act like the unrighteous is because they just don't share the same pleasures. There's no overlap with the unrighteous. If you love the word of God, you will not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In contrast, if you want to stand in the path of the wicked, you will not love the Word of God. And what's the point of saying that? The point is that you can't have your foot in both camps. That's what the psalm is telling us. There is no overlap, there is no gray here. You're one or the other. You're in one camp or the other. You either delight in the Word or you delight in anything but the word. That's the contrast in a nutshell. The wicked, the sinners, the scoffers are the way they are because they have no love for the word. I believe um, Dwight L. Moody was right when he said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. That's so true. The Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. John Owen, the Puritan, put it even more bluntly. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And, and, that, and, and that's the contrast right there. It tells us the pleasures by which we are to live. It tells us that there's only two ways to live, really. And so we come to our third contrast, the contrast of practice. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. There's the contrasting pleasure. And in his, in his, in his law, he meditates day and night. There's the contrast in practice. And in his law, not in the law of men, not in the law of your own self, in His law, in God's law, in the law of the Creator. And the law, as you know, is the Torah. And here's something interesting I learned about the Torah. It is based on the root word Yarah. And why am I saying that? The root word actually means to point out, as if to target with the intention of hitting a target. And so the word Torah has the sense of being the thing 
from God that tells us what to target. The law is God telling us, here's what I like. This is the target that you have to hit. And that's why we understand the word sin as being missing the target. Or falling short of the target. And so the, the person who is blessed, the righteous person, delights in God's target. He wants to hit the target. And so he spends his time understanding what the target is. How is he going to hit it? What is, what is this all about? He's, he's, he's meditating on, on God's target. He has God's target in focus. And that, um, that sense of, that, that word meditate um, is, has a sense of, of muttering. It's, it's like the sound of a dove who just keeps, just keeps muttering all the time. And it's a sense of pondering, always thinking, thinking, thinking. It's always in the back of your mind, in the front of your mind. You're always thinking, 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 thinking about the law of God. And so the righteous one meditates on the word and by implication and inference, the wicked one avoids it, ignores it, doesn't even think about it. It's not even on their radar. They neglect the word. And so what we have thus far is one person who possesses godly discernment which comes from delight in and meditation on the word and the other person possesses no godly um, discernment whatsoever because they have no interest in the word. And it is in the light of this contrast that we come to our final contrast in verse 3 to 6. The blessed person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked who does not stand in the path of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, who delights in the word and continuously meditates on it, what is this person like? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. What is this picture showing us? Is it just showing us a garden? A vineyard? Streams? What are we meant to understand it? Well, firstly, we need to understand the picture in the context of the contrasts. The person who loves the Word and meditates on the Word and has pleasure and delight in the Word is a person who is like a tree that always has water. What does water do? It, it, it keeps the tree physically healthy. It's a source of nourishment. The tree draws up nutrients from the soil through the water. And so, physically speaking, water keeps the tree physically healthy. Spiritually speaking, the word keeps the person spiritually healthy. It's as simple as that. Being in the word continuously means you have a constant source of food and nourishment to feed your soul to be spiritually healthy and because your soul is well fed you will produce fruit in due season what sort of fruit well, the fruit of the spirit it's spiritual fruit what are the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness 
goodness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. And these are the fruit that will be manifest in you, that will be visible in you when you dwell, when you are saturated by the Word of God. So the tree is the righteous person, the streams are the Word of God, the fruit are the fruit of the Spirit. What are the leaves? Well, leaves just are an indicator of growth. And so the leaves on the tree are an indicator that the person is growing. As Jeff mentioned yesterday, there is no such thing as a Christian who is not growing. So the person who is irrigated by the water of the word, who is saturated by the streams of the word, who is flooded by the flow of the word, this person will grow and grow and grow spiritually and they will never wither. What does it mean to wither? Well, physically it means to, to grow dry and crumply and dilapidated because there is no moisture. A, a withered leaf is a dry leaf, but more importantly, a dry leaf is a dead leaf. And what happens to dead leaves? Verse 4, they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. And so finally we have a contrast both for the righteous and for the wicked. The righteous are like trees planted by streams of water, but the wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. And so the contrast becomes really clear. One stays firmly established and the other one is blown away. One is secure, the other one is loose and unstable. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, stop right there. Therefore, oh, it's kind of preparing us. It's a, it's a word marker which says, listen to something. Something important is coming now. Therefore, there's a truth, a principle that is going to be created, that is going to be communicated. Listen. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. The wicked are not so. They are not like the firmly flourishing and healthy tree that never withers. No, instead they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Here's the principle. Because the wicked are like the chaff which is blown away in the wind, therefore they will not stand in the judgment. What is the judgment? The verdict of God, the judgment of God. Standing before God, seeing whether He thinks you're right or not. The text is giving us the principle as to why the wicked will not stand God's verdict. They are like chaff which is blown away. They will not stand in the judgment. Those who deliberately deviate from the right standards that God has set in His word will have no standing before the throne of God nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Meaning that neither will serial offenders have any place in the congregation, in the assembly of those who are the righteous ones. This is talking about salvation. This is talking about judgment. And so actually the entire psalm is based on a contrast between the saved and the lost. 
Think through this with me. The unrighteous are those who lack godly discernment. They do not make godly decisions. Why? Because they have no interest in the word of God or following through with the word of God. So they end up withering and dying like leaves that are blown away in the wind, like chaff that is blown away. And because of the state of being cold and dry and dead, they will not stand before God. On the other hand, the righteous are those who possess godly discernment. They make godly decisions. Why? Because they love the word of God. They meditate on the word of God. They are watered by the word. And so they blossom and flourish like an evergreen tree. And whatever they do, they prosper. What does that mean? Is that a carte blanche? Blank check? Well, whatever it means, the context has to do with salvation. Because that's the context. That's what it means to be watered by the word. Why? In verse 6, For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Three things to note about the word knows in the text. Number one, there's something called contrast emphasis. Where the word is, it says... Um, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but actually it's emphasizing that He does not know the way of the wicked. Number two, the term know indicates intimacy and very personal knowledge. And number three, the grammar of the term indicates non-stop, uninterrupted, continuous action without breaks. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. The Lord knows. He has personal, intimate, continuous, unbroken knowledge of those who are watered by His word, who are established in His word, who persevere in His word, But the wicked are dead. They will not stand with those who are evergreen. But the way of the wicked will perish. Those who defiantly reject the word, who refuse to be watered by the word, they will wither and vanish. My Discovery Bible fleshes out the meaning of perish in this way. Irrelevant, like a memory of the past which is no longer viable, stripped of position, strength, dismantled, reduced, wiped off the scene, despite how strong or forbid formidable, utter destruction, a lost thing. The root emphasizes the resulting disappearance, in other words, to be lost. The righteous are saved. The wicked are lost. And this is the context in which we need to understand prosperity in the context of salvation. 
How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Whatever means the sum total of, the entirety of, the whole of. Prosper means to arrive, to go forward, to success, to advance. And in whatever he does, he prospers. That means the totality of what the righteous person does will come to fruition. Well, what comes to fruition? Does he build a factory? Does he start a global empire? Does he have a career as, I don't know, some sort of artist? What does it mean that whatever he does? Well, it, it can't mean any physical thing because the entire psalm is in a spiritual context. It's not talking about material or physical things. And so whatever he does has to refer to what the righteous person does in a spiritual sense. So if you are someone who loves the, loves the Word of God, if you study it diligently, if you order your life and your lifestyle around its instructions, if you stay away from making ungodly choices, then you are like a healthy tree that receives constant nourishment from the Word of God. And your leaves become fat and juicy and healthy with the nutrients and the nourishment that the Word of God provides. And it will never fade or wither away. And God has personal and intimate knowledge of the whole pathway of your life and the entirety of what you do in His Spirit will advance and be prosperous. It will come to maturity. Why? Why? Because everything that you do has the sanction of God. You are so saturated by the Word that you will never deviate from it. That's what it means to be anchored in the Word, in the soil of the Word, because then when your roots go deep, deep, deep down, you can never be removed from it. Let me read to you from Galatians 5 as to why whatever he does prospers. Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Why? Verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now how do you know the that you are being led by the flesh. Verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Salvation again. And here's the contrast. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If Christ has done this for you, if He has taken you and planted you, the tree hasn't taken itself and planted itself. Someone's planted the tree, the gardener has planted the tree in a place of water, in a place of abundance. If you have been planted by Christ, live by the Spirit. It's pretty simple. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If God has caused us to be born again by His Spirit, then let us continue to walk by His Spirit. And if we do that, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And so we can say that this is the pursuit of prosperity. You are saved by God through the watering of His Word. You are nourished by His Word. You are entrenched in His Word. It is your delight. It is your constant meditation. It is something that gives you discernment so that you will not fall into error with the wicked. You will know how to avoid their path and therefore you will know how to avoid destruction. Reading this psalm will give us insight into how we can influence, in a sense, our destiny. That is a powerful thing. If you walk in the ways of God, your destiny is secure. You are like that tree which is planted by streams of water. You are constantly nourished. Your fruit will always appear. Your leaves will never wither. You are not like the wicked who are windblown chaff who will not stand before God in the judgment. And this is what success looks like in God's eyes. This is what prosperity looks like in God's eyes. To be anchored in His Word. To be a successful Christian is to be a biblical Christian. I mean, that's... If we, if we follow through the contrasts, if we follow through the metaphors, if we understand what the tree is all about, there is no way to escape the conclusion that a Christian is anchored in the soil of God's Word. There is no other definition. If you love me, what? Follow my commands. That's what Jesus said. Our love for Christ is demonstrated by our love for what Christ has said. Our love for Christ is demonstrated by our love for His Word. Being rooted and grounded and built up in the Word of God is what prosperity is all about. Colossians 2.7 Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed. Be grounded, rooted, entrenched, embedded in the Word. 
That is what the prosperity, what the pursuit of prosperity is. It is the pursuit of being in the Word of God. How successful I am as a Christian depends on how much time I spend in the Word. It's as simple as that. We deny ourselves prosperity when we do not spend time in the Word. Why? Because there is no greater treasure than the revelation of God's Word. I want to end with, a, with an illustration. Actually, it's, it's, it's true. A lot of you would know the name Malcolm Sabine. Or some of you would. Malcolm Sabine was an elder at NCC. And he and his wife um, loved the Lord dearly. And they both died within a year of each other. I think they both had cancer. Malcolm died in 2011. A simple man. Uh, he had a cabinet polishing business. Um, ordinary man. Nothing to write home about, really. And I remember um, the year he died because within a week of Malcolm dying, another man died. And this man I'm sure you would have heard of. This man made his first million when he, he was 23. And when he died, his personal wealth was estimated to be in the region of $10 billion. That's a billion with a B. The man I'm referring to is Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer and the inventor of things such as the iPad or the iPhone or the iPod, the iWatch. And the many of us in this room, and if we don't know his name, we certainly might be using his products. By any stretch of the imagination, Steve Jobs was wildly prosperous. Prosperous beyond our wildest dreams. And he stood in complete contrast to Malcolm Sabine. A man who was not even remotely prosperous in a material sense. But where are they now? What is the end? Where does the way of the wicked take you? As we have seen in the psalm, material prosperity counts for nothing. Why not? And Jesus put it this way, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? May we be those who desire to be prosperous, in the truest sense of the word, maybe pursue biblical word-based prosperity so that we are firmly established in God's word so that we will nourish our souls and see ourselves standing in the assembly of the righteous. Shall we pray?
Our gracious God and loving Father, we just want to thank you for um, your word, which is so comforting, Lord. To know that with your word, we can be watered and be nourished and healthy and have food for our souls for the rest of eternity. That we will never wither and die, but we will flower and fruit. Lord, that we will be trees that are planted by steady sources of water. Lord, that our souls will never be in a season of drought, as it were, because we always have your word with us. And yes, Lord, in in a material sense, we can go through these seasons of drought, health issues, financial issues, family issues, all sorts of issues, Lord, but with your word, we want to thank you that we will be watered, fed, nourished, healthy forever. And so, Father God, we just pray that you would give us and impress upon us the importance of being in your word, of loving your word, of delighting in your word, of meditating on your word continually, day and night, so that we would be like that tree, which is planted by streams of water, which bears fruit in its season, which, whose leaf does not wither and die, And we will stand before you, not in anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf by planting us in that beautiful pasture. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just speak into our souls, that you would anchor us in your word, and that we would follow this path of prosperity till we are with you. We ask this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.